0: we have a very special two peas in a podcast. Today we have our cousin and slash person author Courtney Ellis on the podcast. Say hello Courtney. Hello Courtney. (laughs) I had like a feeling (laughs) you were going to do that. So you guys might remember Courtney from last year. She was with her husband Daryl and they're very fun people because they're our cousins and but Courtney is also an author and her husband Daryl does what does Gerald do? I know he's super smart. He is, he's a, he's a an associate pastor for spiritual formation and mission at a Presbyterian church. Oh. And finally finished that PhD. So Oh, that's right. We're very proud. So that's an update from like a mini update, but we have a bigger update from Courtney. So Courtney's on the show because she has written a book and we wanted to talk to her about the book because we thought it could help people both in their relationships and with their personal development. Mm. Mm. So, to give you a little update on who Courtney is, so that way you don't think that we're crazy, I'm gonna read you the very humbling description from Amazon, uh, where you. Which can... I
1: super did not write and had no say in. So. <laughs> so the book
0: that she wrote is called "Unclutter: Free Your Space, Free Your Schedule, Free Your Soul," and I'm gonna read the description that it gives you of Courtney just so you have an idea that we're not just like interviewing her because she's our cousin. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So Courtney Ellis is an associate pastor for spiritual formation and mission at Presbyterian Church of the Master.
1: So Daryl and I are co-pastors technically in case that was just confusing. (laughs) No drama.
0: No drama. We love it. She holds degrees from... Wheaton College, Loyola University of Chicago, and Princeton Theological Seminary, and has been published in Christianity Today Women. She's a sought-after speaker for leadership in women's retreats, MOPs, which is Mothers of Preschoolers, and Young Adult Ministries. Courtney resides in Southern California with her family. So you know your way around the world. <laughs> Apparently
1: so. <laughs> okay. nothing, like a, nothing like a bio to make you feel like, wait a second. Okay. I have to live up to that now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So no pressure.
1: No pressure.
0: Uh, So the book she wrote, like I said, is called Uncluttered. But I really wanted to start off by having our listeners get a little tiny taste of the book so they could know what they're getting into. So could I have you start by reading off that part of chapter one from your book? Sure. So this is an excerpt
1: from chapter one. Uh, My husband's name is Daryl. Often, Daryl was only halfway present, glued to Sports Center on a computer perched on a shelf above our crawling baby's reach. Finishing his PhD left him euphoric, but limping, too. The road had been a long one. He scrolled through job boards, updating his resume, and obsessing over his chances of landing the perfect gig. His life was cluttered. Even the baby, then only six months old, suffered from the too-muchness of it all. I'd nurse him while responding to emails, noticing only occasionally that his little blue eyes were searching in vain to meet mine. His life was cluttered. We were a hot mess, all of us, with me as the biggest offender of the too-much clan, always taking on more, saying yes, filling up time and space, wasting energy on little projects, teaching my brood to do likewise. Yet we persisted in our cluttered lives, unaware that there could possibly be another way— We're sensible, my husband and I told ourselves. We're frugal, thoughtful, wise people, we told ourselves. There's absolutely nothing we could do to make our life simpler. That simply wasn't true.
0: So I'm nursing my daughter, (laughs) and I'm trying not to cry. But when I read this, the part that resonated with me was when I nurse her, I check my emails all the time, and she has these perfect Little blue eyes, and I do the same thing where you're nursing, and it's just like I mean, sometimes it's like 45 minutes to an hour. Nursing is long, and nursing gets boring, and so I get it. But I, we feel the same. I think Del's here in the room too, so like everything just feels like it so much. So, I think what I like about this book is like sometimes I tell myself that too I'm like, we've got it figured out, we're okay. But really, my baby's trying to look at my eyes. Right. And,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was some illustration, I think it was in Newsweek, of a mom's hand holding a phone blocking a baby's face. It was just this little cartoon illustration. And I was like, no, that's me. He's going (laughs) to think the iPhone is his mother. You know, but it's the easiest thing, and it's right there. And so how do you decide... This isn't quite who I want to be, but what's the alternative and how do uh-huh. I find a different path? Because it's not natural. The easiest thing is technology. The easiest thing is more stuff. The easiest thing is filling up your schedule and how could we live a different way? Um, and I didn't know, but our family was was just breaking under the strain of it. We had this amazing, beautiful, great life. Daryl had finally finished his degree. We were at a church that we loved. We're still at that church. We love it there. And I was borderline having panic attacks, and we couldn't figure out why. Mm -hmm. And Daryl said, you know, is it this? Is it that? I said, I think it's everything. And our friends in our small group asked us to be more specific. Like, okay, it's everything. Like, can you unpack that? And I was like, no, I literally think it's everything. (laughs) Like, it's everything. (laughs) It's all the things. Every possession, every activity, every tweet, every, you know, it just, it, it compounds. And we were, we were wearing ourselves out. And so we had to step off this train that was moving so quickly um, and figure out a whole new way of, of being us, being people, being parents, being
0: married, being pastors, all of those things. So I know that the book talks about a lot of different things, but so for the people that are listening, could you tell me a little bit more about your book? Cause I know everything can't go in there, but I know there's a everything. lot of good stuff. It's
1: 7 million pages
0: long. <laughs> yeah. The piece of book. The,
1: the book is kind of guided by, by our own journey. So the the tagline is free your space, free your schedule, and free your soul. And those three categories kind of encapsulate um we're we're a people. Americans are a people who are so overburdened with possessions, yeah, and we definitely. end up spending all our time caring for and curating these things that we don't even mm-hmm. want or need, but we don't know how to stop. And so, the first third of the book is about space issues. Uh, we moved from Wisconsin to Southern California, where we pay double for half the space, and so some <laughs> of it was necessity. We're like, we can't have all this stuff; we will die. We look like we're auditioning for hoarders. Um, the second third of the book is about scheduling issues. Um, And I think especially as parents, when your kids start getting into activities and classes and, right, we're getting, people are telling us that our five-year-old is already, quote, already behind because he hasn't been in soccer. And we're like, he's five. He just wants to hit a tree with a stick right now. Like, that's great. Um, But how do you say no? And how do you decide what to say yes to? So that's the middle third. And the final third is what helped us to order all these things was this new acknowledgement of... Um, you know, we're Christians, we're pastors of God at the center of our lives. And how do we let God help us order our life? Because this has been a problem forever. You know, it's worse now in this consumerist, materialistic society, but it's always been a problem. People have always tried to do too much and have too much and hoard things rather than live with open hands. And um, so that's the book in a nutshell. That was way longer than an elevator pitch.
0: (laughs) So in the first chapter, you give us a really good start of, you know, what really got you into this. But I wanted to talk a little bit about chapter two. And in chapter two, you talk about giving your stuff away. And I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Wisconsin. (laughs) And so you mentioned giving away a Midwestern dining table. And so if most of the people that are listening to this are probably from the Midwest, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It's that like, big table that Grandma always had Christmas at. They're not little tiny tables, they're pretty large. But you talk about giving that table away. So, for the people listening, could you talk about the table and how giving it away impacted you and your family?
1: Yeah, we, you know, the hardest thing about giving possessions away is anyone can give away a table. But that table has memories attached to yeah. it, and it has nostalgia attached to it, and it has a feeling of of obligation almost tied to it. And this table had been my parents'. Um, I yeah. had grown up had sitting that around table this too. table, we yeah. Had that table. The, the the you know the chair for the head of the household, where my dad usually sat, had these little like um, paint marks on it from when my sister once did this art project that she thought would clean up and it didn't. And you know, so just all of these memories of this table. How in the world would I get rid of this table? So we moved from a five-bedroom farmhouse that the church owned yeah. in Wisconsin to a two-bedroom teeny tiny condo in California and I was like we are keeping the table and Daryl because he is far more patient than I am and knows that if he waits me out I will come to my senses <laughs> said okay let's keep the table and we tried to put it in the dining room and it took up I mean our dining room and our living room and our kitchen were all kind of the same thing there's tiny now. tiny condo and people would ask, like, are you going to host a banquet? Like, there wasn't room for a couch. Or a ch- it was crazy. And so we moved it to the garage, one car garage. This table took up half of it. And finally, I realized, like, I have to let the table go. And I called my mom, and I was like, I am so, so sorry. sorry. <laughs> like, we moved this from Wisconsin. And, you know, I'm realizing in all this, like, she doesn't have the table anymore because they didn't want it anymore. And it was part of like her, you know, she had feelings attached to it. So, but if it went to me, then she didn't have to, you know, feel bad about getting rid of it. So now it was my problem. Um, it was given in love, you know, it was a great table, but I finally realized, okay, I have to, I have to unload this table. And it was this big emotional thing and I posted it online. And within minutes, um, this woman who was married to a pastor who wanted a big table to host church dinners messaged me. And it was like, you know, light from the heavens shining down, and God being like, "See,
0: like it's everything." Someone needed be okay. it for ministry.
1: Like it's not <laughs> even, you know. And um, and it was amazing. You know, my my son who was then three or four came out, and he was like, "Oh, mommy, I can ride my bike in the garage now." I was like, "Yeah, is that great?" So we learned with every single thing we got rid of, we started to feel better. We started to feel lighter. We started to feel happier, which is not what you would think because you think more stuff makes you happy, but really every thing we own that isn't essential, we we need some stuff. We do. Everyone needs stuff. You need clothes to wear, you get arrested, right? You need a lunchbox to take to work. You need a
0: computer to do your podcast. But do you need a large Midwestern dining table exactly. in a really small apartment in California? In, in
1: California, you don't, you know? And, and so beginning to to remove the feelings from it and deal with, deal with the feelings separately from the item was a really helpful thing, you know, and I had to grieve li- leaving the Midwest. I love the Midwest. I miss the Midwest. I had to grieve, you know, I'm not a kid sitting around that table with my sisters anymore. We're all far apart, you know, these big emotional things. But like at the end of the day, it's just a table. it's just a table, right? And those feelings can be separated from it. So that was part of the thing that we
0: learned. And so I don't think anyone would disagree with the fact that We live in a culture of buying stuff. What? Amazon. I I mean, (laughs) when I'm feeding Carly, sometimes I'm on Amazon because it's massive and you can get everything. And it comes in like five minutes. Like, they knew. They were watching my house. And like, everyone gets Christmas gifts and you give Christmas gifts. But you just got rid of some of your stuff. But stuff makes me happy. So what would you say to people who say I don't want to get rid of anything I need this like what would you say to people that really want to keep their stuff
1: yeah I think wanting to keep stuff is natural and we you know Daryl and I don't call ourselves minimalists because we're not we just say we're minimal ish I um, like that better. Yeah, we you know, we don't have this aesthetic of like I will own one jacket and that will be it. It's not the it's principle be a of great the thing. Jacket. Right. Well, and that's kind of the trap that minimalism can lead you into is if I'm only gonna have one, it needs to be the best one ever. And it, it's this new consumerist trap. And so I think mm. part of it is deciding what do you truly need. Um, You know, I think we find when we travel often, when we have one suitcase of clothing, that it's actually, it's kind of an easier morning because you're like, I guess I'll wear my jeans rather than like, which pair And women have 18 different styles of jeans and it's exhausting and unnecessary and, and so... I think part of it is realizing this is the life I have, this is the life I want, this is what I truly need, and you do need some stuff. And we keep some things that are sentimental just because
0: they're sentimental. Yeah, Um, you have to. You can't, like, get rid of everything. Daryl
1: literally still has his shoes from his high school prom because, quote, Uh, they're going to come back in style and he's going to wear them again. I've tried to get rid rid of them for 11 years of marriage, you know, but, like, he loves them and that's okay. Like, we can keep a pair of shoes. No one's going to die um but it's it's finding that balance and once the euphoria of the purchase wears off do you Which still need the thing so sometimes i'll buy something and keep the tags on it and a week later i'm like you know i actually that was Didn't really need. fun to buy yeah. i'm gonna
0: take it back um amazon often has free returns i do it's for great. lots of stuff i've returned some stuff So, speaking of clothing, not specifically Daryl's shoes, but... (laughs) They need to go. In chapter three, you talk about clothing, and you mention decision fatigue. So, can I have you read an excerpt from chapter three where you mention what decision fatigue is?
1: Yes. Decision fatigue. The struggle is real. NPR had a great show on decision fatigue a couple weeks ago. Was it exhausting? It was. I was like, I feel you. Um, So this is an excerpt from chapter three. Decision fatigue is the exhaustion that creeps in after we've had to make choice after choice in a given day. It's why you're much more likely to cheat on your diet late at night than you are in the morning. It's why so many couples get into fights in Ikea. It's why grocery stores put the candy up near the registers. By the time you check out, you've usually made so many decisions – already that your willpower is at an all-time low so the idea is every decision we make chips away at our good decision bank for the day it's true
0: it's totally you just wear down i get so exhausted so meyer's big in michigan and it's you know just like a giant walmart and by the time i'm at the end i I, my brain is off i can't do it anymore right No one buys us weekly on their way in, but on the way out, they're like, yes, Absolutely. this will help me. I need to read that. What's
1: Jen doing these days? It's only $1. Yeah, $1.39. <laughs> totally.
0: It is. And in that chapter, in chapter three, you relate decision fatigue to clothing, but I don't know if that always naturally like would be associated to people. So could you tell us a little bit more about how decision fatigue and clothing are related?
1: Absolutely. yeah, the title of the chapter is the one thing Mark Zuckerberg and I have in common, and it's not <laughs> that we're both billionaires. <laughs> um, and the idea for me was, um, you know, I was really thinking through how could I simplify my life in areas that caused me naturally a lot of decision fatigue, and one of the areas for me was getting dressed in the morning because I have a lot of friends and family members who are into fashion and they love putting an outfit together and I'm just not wired that way it is always a struggle for me it's always exhausting I always stand in front of the mirror and feel like well I tried oh
0: absolutely well and like I mean not to out you I, you're pregnant now I just had a baby so, so you're between yes. it's not just one set it's like three sets of clothing right and then that of- fit yesterday oh no Right. Everything's yeah. a crop top by the end. It's rough yeah, pretty much. Anyway,
1: um, Yeah. So I just, you know, I think for other people, you know, some people love fashion and this would not be their thing, but it might be cooking or it might be giving gifts or, you know, what's an area Something. where you, yeah, you end up making all these decisions that wear you out. And at the end of making all those decisions, you don't feel any better or any lighter and you've worn down your bank of good decisions for the day. Um, so I started to think, how could I simplify my wardrobe? And you read a lot in, in fashion magazines about capsule collections. And there's this great idea that you only need these 12 items this Absolutely. season. And they I've all go together. And yeah. Here are your leather pants and your fur vest. And I was like, OK, that's not going to work for me. And I also, part of the spirit of simplifying and uncluttering is finding use for what you already have and not going out to spend a lot more than you need. I can get behind that. Yeah. So I started to think, OK, I'm a pastor. And I'm a mom and I'm at the playground a lot and I'm in the pulpit a lot. And what could I do that could work across all of the basic things in my life? I need to exercise. I need to go to the grocery store. I need to be at a board meeting um, and reduce that decision fatigue and – uh, it was almost Lent, and some Christians for Lent will fast from something. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about what I would do. Lent always sneaks up on me, and Pastor and I'm always like, "Oh my goodness, what it starts tomorrow! I should know this by now." Um, and a friend said, "What are you going to give up for Lent?" And just suddenly it came to me: I'm going to give up wearing color. And she was like, that's super weird. I said, thank you, I love you too. Um, but I realized like that would simplify my wardrobe. So I wore black and white and gray and uh, denim just because that is a staple for me for the entire season of Lent. And I waited for someone to notice or comment. No
0: one No said one ever
1: anything. noticed because it turns out I think about what I wear a million times more than anybody else. Yeah, but I you know, I, I gave up sugar for Lent one year and I thought Daryl and I were dating and I thought our relationship would not survive it because I almost too
0: much. It was bad. When we talked about that. You and I both bad. have a super bad sweet tooth, but yeah, not necessarily. Okay. We'd not be fighting this, you're
1: like, what are we fighting about? I'm like, I don't know. I, I just, just need, need a ch- brownie. <laughs> um, so we're not doing that. But this, this one energized me. I had more time in the morning. I had more energy. I felt better. And suddenly I would wake up and think, okay, if I want to wear this white top, I'm going to wear these black pants. Done. Everything went with everything else. All the decisions were made for me. It was amazing. And so as Lent ended, I wore this bright, flowery Easter dress for Easter morning. It was great. It was super fun. I came home and I was like, "You know what? I'm going to save a couple dresses and I'm I'm done with colors rid of everything I'm, else. I'm done with it. Everything goes with everything else now. And I realize
0: that's not for everyone. Um,
1: but it has been wonderful for but me. But it could
0: be something else. So maybe it's not clothing, but something right. everyday like Well, something that I related this to is after we had Carly, instead of cooking 30 different meals, we just ate the same dinner. Every yeah. single night of the week. Could that be something that would be Totally, helpful? totally. Okay. You get like
1: your ten meals on rotation in the month yeah. and suddenly your grocery shopping is simplified and your cooking is simplified. And you know, then every once in a while when you go out to eat, it's this big treat. Like every if Daryl and I go on a date and I throw on a couple of one of the colorful dresses Colored I've dresses. saved, yeah, he's like, Ooh, you look amazing. I'm like, Thank you. Because it's exciting and it's new and it's fun, which at the end of the day I think is what fashion is intended to be, but just has never been for me. Um so
0: Mornings are better, faster, easier. Do you find at the end of the day that your brain is just less tired?
1: Yeah, I'm ready for either you know, I'm, I'm a part time pastor, so I'm either running the kids somewhere and I have energy and focus for them, or I'm headed to a meeting and I have energy and focus for that. And I'm not spending the whole day being like, Oh, coral doesn't
0: really go with navy. What was
1: I thinking? <laughs> that was a bad choice, you know, because I just second
0: guessing what you're it is just are, not
1: yeah. in my DNA um, to be good at aesthetic things. (laughs) So (laughs) So,
0: if someone today is listening and wanted to reduce their decision fatigue specifically related to their wardrobe, what would you tell them to do? I would tell them to think about
1: um, what their week looks like. Uh, you know, the, the one thing Mark Zuckerberg and I have in common is a basic wardrobe and his is the hoodie that doesn't work for me. I would get fired. (laughs) Um, but I realized I wear a lot of black as a pastor already and I wear a lot of black to work out and I wear a lot of black, you know, so the black, white denim, Um, And I wear gray and, you know, mixed black and white patterns and things like that would work for everything. So, you know, if you're, if you work on a ranch, you're going to want to do denim and brown probably, right? The boots and the sandals and all of those things. So to think about what does your life entail? And maybe you love bright colors and patterns, but you realize like dresses work great for your body shape and you keep trying to make the pants thing work and it's not working. Give it up. You don't win any awards (laughs) for wearing pants if pants are working for you. So to just think about... What do you feel best in? What is simplest for you? And could you have a whole closet full of the same thing? Cornell West, professor, esteemed professor at Princeton University, wears a three-piece suit every day. And he looks like a million dollars. Starched white shirt. And that is the uniform. So if you can find the uniform that works that for you. That works for your lifestyle. Yeah. It's, it's worth, it's worth everything, you know, and, and it is in a way simpler for men. They tend to have a basic uniform anyway. Yeah, My I husband do. is khaki and blue. Everything is khaki and blue and he's got a couple charcoal suits. That's his wardrobe. And he didn't do it on purpose. He just likes that stuff and it's simpler. Um, but for women, it's a little, it's a little trickier to figure out, I think.
0: You know, it was funny because I read the book right before we Came on our so we go on this week long cousin trip called Maranatha and at Maranatha it's called Beltrama. Oh, excuse me. But <laughs> I had to pack for it, but also pack baby stuff. But I read your book after I packed unfortunately. But then <laughs> I read this chapter and then I went back and took out half of the stuff in my suitcase. Yeah. I had packed like dresses and pants and like yoga pants and all this stuff. Right. And then I was like, "You know what? What what have you seen me wear? You probably don't remember what I wore, but I basically bought <laughs> a worn, baby Bjorn. You've worn a baby Bjorn. A lot a of baby the time. Bjorn <laughs> and yoga pants." Yeah. And I'm like, "You know what? Next year I'm just going to bring four pair of yoga pants and a t-shirt because right. it's too much to think about and then
1: part of your vacation is a vacation for making these decisions every day know, and no yep.
0: one cares yeah it's part of the joy care. of vacation i know <laughs> uh so after writing this book how have you found that uncluttering has improved your life
1: i think the biggest thing for us as a family is we have more time Um, There's a whole chapter on um, on uncluttering your digital life, uncluttering from technology. And we didn't realize beforehand how much time we gave to mindlessly surfing the internet to social media you know and these things aren't even bad. A
0: calculator right? they're not bad ashamed. they help
1: you know one of the reasons i i feel so connected to you and Dell when i'm not here is i listen to your podcast yeah. and i see you guys online and you're hilarious and all those connections are good but when it becomes this well i have five minutes so i'll do x in those five minutes there are any number of other things you could have done, or you could have even mindlessly stared at a window, which gets your beta waves going and and makes you feel more energized and um, helps you to be more creative. And so, a lot of those technology boundaries that we instituted after um, Daryl and I, after I wrote this book, have um, just really made us feel free in a way that we didn't before. We we both have iPhones, but they're they're grayscale. Uh, there's no color on the screens. We can't get on the internet. You know, like we've
0: Pared um, back.
1: Paired back back a ton and we feel like we've gained so much because we can't just rely on our willpower when it comes to technology. Because on the other end of the screen, there are thousands I of engineers making money anywhere. on everything we click, right? So it's not even me versus the phone. It's me versus thousands of people in cyberspace who Everybody. right, who have a vested interest in me staying connected and clicking one more time. Um, so I would say the biggest change has just been that the pace of our life has slowed and the time has opened up. And we haven't done anything that radical, right? We didn't, quit our jobs and move to rural wherever. Like we are still very you didn't much get rid of
0: everything you own. No. We're in, the in the busy Orange yeah. County.
1: Like you would walk through our house and not think, oh minimalists live here. Like our kids have toys. They get birthday presents. I still own more jackets than I should in California, right? But there is less stuff to care for and there's less stuff to deal with and there's less stuff we're constantly connected to, which has helped us feel more connected to each other and more connected to God. I would say our marriage is better that at the fantastic. on the other side of this. <laughs> yeah um, it was cheaper than counseling. (laughs) We've done that too. We'll do it again, but it was cheaper than counseling. Um, so yeah, life is, life is just better. And that is one of the things that led me to write the book rather than just undertake this journey myself was realizing we didn't know what a different way could look like. And once we discovered it, we couldn't shut up about it, um, because it's been so good and so rich, um, and just so life-giving for all of us.
0: It sounds fantastic, and it sounds like writing the book and going through all of it has just really improved your family. It sounds like it's improved your life, but I think that the thing that struck me the most is that it improved, um, I hate saying this, but your relationship with God. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like your spiritual life has become more fulfilling, too. Yeah. So... God is almost, in my experience, God is almost
1: obnoxiously polite. Like he doesn't <laughs> shout louder than social media. He doesn't, you know. You're right. he, I I agree with that. He's persistent and faithful, but if we're gonna drown him out with Netflix, he yeah. he allows that a lot of the time. And so the less we've done and the slower we've begun to live our lives, the more we've seen God show up. He's been there all the time, but it's helped us learn to notice. Just by uncluttering. Yeah.
0: So, for our wonderful listeners, can you tell them where they can buy your book?
1: Out of the trunk of my car. No, I'm... <laughs> you're
0: walking uh, on street woo! corners across the U.S. <laughs> right here. Oh, well, you can buy a Rolex
1: too, while you're at it. <laughs> um, th- no, the book officially um, is available for sale February first, 2019. Uh, but you can pre-order it on Amazon uh, starting today. Starting right now, which I don't know when this podcast airs, but right now when you're listening to it, you can buy it on I Amazon. I already
0: got mine. So yeah, so. search
1: Uncluttered Courtney Ellis, and it's right up there. So
0: I am excited to read all of it. I've read the first few chapters, and they're fantastic. And so if you're listening to this, go get the book. It'll be helpful for your life, fulfilling and wonderful. And now you've gotten to hear from the author. Yay! Well, Courtney, thank you so much for being here as always thanks for having me we'll have to do this again next year don't you have another book to not yet i do because
1: it helps unclutter your life by just writing more books (laughs) 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 unclutter everything but buy my books okay (laughs) next time we'll
0: hear about the other book but in the meantime uncluttered by author courtney ellis thank you courtney thanks for having me